You're listening to If Only I Were Wiser podcast, where Raina Wilson brings together wisdom and raw life stories to provide encouragement and truth. So many times it's easy to become discouraged in your own pursuit of health because your story or circumstances look drastically different from your favorite influencer or even the expectations you had for yourself. If that is you, welcome. This space is for you to learn, breathe, and maybe just listen and see what wellness could look like for you. Hey friends, welcome back to the If Only Our Wiser podcast. On today's episode, I have queen of metabolic health, Kate Deering. For over 25 years, Kate has been involved in the health and fitness industry, helping men and women of all ages achieve optimal health and wellness. Her practice is based on a holistic approach to health and wellness by looking at the entirety of a person's well-being. And in this episode, we do a deep dive into metabolic health, what that looks like, what foods to support your body, as well as rhythms and markers to look for when your metabolism isn't functioning optimally. Kate is an amazing source of wisdom, and this episode really helps you block out the noise from what you see on metabolic health and social media. So let's dive in. Hello, Kate. Welcome to the If Only I Were Wiser podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. Like I said, I'm fangirling a little bit because when I first started your book, I was sitting with my husband and we were doing a long drive somewhere. And I read like the first intro of where you shared your story. And my husband like cuts his eyes at me and he was like, did she just write a book about you? (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's interesting how many people related to that story and you think like, I'm the only one that has done this. You're like, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. A lot more. So I would love to just get started by hearing a little bit about your story. Um, what does life look like for you right now and kind of a day in the life of Kate? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, I live in San Diego, California. I've lived here for about 20 years now. I came from Atlanta, Georgia, which is where my... <clears throat> interest in the health and fitness world kind of started probably at a very young age. I was always really interested in health and fitness. And I I think that's when I probably started learning about the diet world too. And it was starting to be pretty big in the eighties. And that was when I was growing up. And that's when I was learning all about, you know, how can I, how can I change my body using food? And at the time it was mostly about, well, how can I either make myself smaller and, you know, obviously you can make yourself bigger and, at that point, it was all just about calories in um, and you would get on different phases. Well, maybe it's I just reduce all the fat or no, I'll reduce all the carbs or whatever thought process. I mean, I was just basically reducing calories. And that kind of led me into the entry. I, I studied exercise physiology and psychology in college and then started working in the health club industry for uh, about 10 years. Um, that's when I left and came to California. All the while, I was in every diet probably that was fat at the time. And, you know, certainly when you were in the fitness industry, you were doing all sorts of crazy things to get to that achieved body fat that you think that that means now you are healthy. And so after I moved to California, I started studying with the Czech Institute. Um, I got a certification in a year-long nutritional program. And they all kind of helped me figure out, okay, organic foods are better. You know, we need to supplement here and there. Nothing, though, really shifted me until I started to find Dr. Ray Pete's work. And I started to kind of completely look at health differently because at the time, I was probably about 38 at the time, uh, I was starting to have some health issues. And, you know, and I, I was eating really clean at the time. I was exercising like crazy. And at the, I was having a real hard maintaining my weight. I was starting to have some sleep issues, some cycle issues. Um, I was starting to feel tired. And I kind of just thought maybe this is what it feels like when you get into your 40s. And uh, and then I realized from his work that, huh, maybe some of the things I've been doing actually are not that healthy for me. And when you look at health in the context of metabolism and how well your body is actually using the fuel you're giving it and producing energy so that all your systems are functioning optimally, I looked at my own health and see I was having all these symptoms. I was actually quite cold too, and I had a really low heart rate. And although I was really fit, I was, I was not particularly healthy in the context of a well-running metabolism. So that's when my entire world kind of shifted. I had to pretty much unlearn everything I thought was good for me and kind of reshift and think about health on a different, well, a different space as, you know, you have a warm body, you actually have good digestion, you can sleep well, you have good energy. 
all of these things that at the time I wasn't actually experiencing. So um, and that kind of leads me up to when I when I started practicing this and started shifting and my health started to improve, I thought, you know, people need to learn this information. It's not readily available. And that's when I wrote my book. Absolutely. What was the initial, I think, shock to you or shift for you when you started to realize, wait a minute, this is completely different than everything that I was doing, but I'm starting to feel so much better. The 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 first thing that I realized was I started taking my temperature. And now I've always been cold my entire life. Mm-hmm. From college, you know, even when I was super fit and thin, I was always cold. And I never, ever attributed it to just the body's inability to produce heat. I just thought, I'm really lean. I don't have a lot of body fat. I'm cold. And when I started to take my body temperature, I was like 96.5 oh, wow. and I was like, right. And we know optimal at this point is 98.6. And I'm like, huh, well, that can't be good. You know, and I always had cold hands, cold feet. And, you know, I just, like I said, attribute it to low body fat. And so when I started to actually work on improving my temperature and that meant I was starting to eat differently, I laid off a lot of my activity. I mean, I used to work out two hours a day. I, at this time I was teaching boot camps and and had tons of clients. And so, you know, I was super overly active at the same time, my body was always achy and sore and, you know, stiff. And, you know, again, I just attributed that, well, that's what happens when you're fit and you're, you exercise all the time, not really realizing that that was not a good thing essentially. And so Mm -hmm. when I started to warm myself up and takes a little bit of time off and not train as crazy, still train, Um, yeah, I was surprised how much better I felt. I wasn't sore. I started to sleep better. My skin looked better. Um, my cycle improved. And so it was just this interesting transition without me having to specifically address any of these things other than let's just allow your body space and time to kind of figure itself out by giving it better foods and see what happens and voila. Mm. It's a slow transition for sure, like as I'm starting to realize, but I would love to dive into metabolism and not metabolism in the sense as I'm sure you've heard in the fitness and health industry, like metabolism, I feel like when I first stepped into this space was the sexy word. It was the booster metabolism, you know, do all these things, not really realizing how it worked right. or how I could optimize my metabolism. So I would love to just start there of how would you describe this? What does optimal functioning look like? Yeah. And I think that's a good point. I think, and I, I thought the same way because you, you read articles all the time, five things to boost your metabolism, you know, and they'll list things in there like cayenne pepper or cinnamon, you know, and, and kind of these things that you're like, Oh, I'll just take a bunch of this and my metabolism will be higher. And it doesn't really work that way. So metabolism is basically how well your body is turning food into energy. And, you know, it it's basically encompasses and it runs all the systems of your body, right? So that's the total of your metabolism is how much energy it takes to run every system of your body to do everything you need to be doing. We'd all like to utilize more energy, but for our body to utilize it in the way that's going to work for us, we've got to make sure there's adequate food because that's how we run. So we don't run on air. Yeah. We run on fuel and our fuel is food, nutrients, we need water, we need oxygen, we need thyroid hormone. All those things are necessary for us to run at an optimal level and so that we have enough energy to support our, our systems. When, our, when we start kind of either eating less or we start doing more than our body is getting in for as far as food, right? I, I always refer that to as a stress. So anytime that we, uh, we don't have enough fuel to meet our demands, a stress is induced in our body. Because <clears throat> most people, you'll say, well, I'm not stressed you know, but they're eating 1200 calories and they just think, well, I don't have a lot of stress in my life. I'm like, yes, but right. fat loss in itself is a stress in your body. So if you are in some level of deficit, that is a stress on your system because it has to shift. And again, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have that happen, but it's only bad when you are staying in that state chronically all the time and you keep doing more and more and more and you're eating less and less and less. And at some point in time, your metabolism or referred to it as your basal metabolism, and that's how much body uh, energy your body burns at rest, starts to adapt to your lower energy intake. And when it starts adapting, that's when you start seeing symptoms. So a slower metabolism, meaning your body is now doesn't have enough fuel to just meet its demands at rest, right? So then all of a sudden the system says, well, you're not bringing enough food in. So 
we don't we won't have as good of hormonal function. So that could look like PMS, low fertility, no libido, or maybe you want to slow your digestion down because actually that doesn't work well under stress at all. So maybe you start getting bloating or leaky gut or SIBO or all sorts of other things start occurring. Maybe you are just unable to gain muscle mass because you don't have enough fuel come in. It can affect your mood, mm. depression, anxiety, or all symptoms of a low metabolism. It can just affect your entire nervous system. So you might just feel fatigued all the time. I think if we kind of go back and to a lot of things like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, 99.999% of those people are also hypothyroid or sub, subclinically hypothyroid or have some sort of metabolic thing going on that their body is unable to produce enough energy to keep them going. And it could be a bunch of different mechanisms of why that might be occurring, but that those uh, illnesses are a symptom of a body that is unable to produce enough energy. And so <clears throat> people get confused, I think, because they'll go out and do a lot. I'm going to go run a marathon. Mm-hmm. and work out like crazy. And that was kind of my, my, my mentality to boost my metabolism. So I'll burn more calories. And yes, you will burn more calories. But if you do not provide your system with enough energy to do those tasks, it will adapt. And it adapts by slowing down your internal functions, right? You have this adaption because your body's number one job is just to keep you alive, not to have you thrive. <laughs> and so it's always going to shift how the the energy is being used. And if you start doing a lot more exercise, more everything, it says, we've got to keep up with you. So we're going to shift our energy to do those things. Whereas these other functions in your body, like having your period properly or digesting right, or all these other things become not as essential. You, You will still live if you have a really painful period and you will still live if you have really crappy digestion. It sucks, but mm-hmm. you will still live. And so your body is always signaling to kind of slow those things down when you need other, you know, you have all these additional stressors externally on, on your body. Oh, definitely. And I love how you said at the beginning, like fat loss and leanness is not synonymous with health. Right. Which I think I fell into that lie for so long, so early on, not realizing like true health markers are some of the things like you mentioned, fertility, libido, um, am I warm? <laughs> you know, like, do I just run warm? Exactly. So those are all definitely a shift in my own story trying to navigate like, okay, what does health look like? Yeah. Health does not look like a majority of the time what the health and fitness industry claim that it looks like. Yeah. And and the health and fitness industry, in my opinion, it just creates this other extreme. And, you know, I will admit you, when I got into it, it, it's almost, I I had this obsession with it. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people in the health and fitness, it kind of gives us space to be able to have a normal obsession because everything we do is around probably how our body looks and how it performs. And, you know, so we kind of like, this is my career. I have to do this. This is how I live. And again, I don't want to take from that because I mean, not everybody is like this and there is a healthy balance. But I think particularly women get Mm -hmm. stuck because we get to these unhealthy standards. We want to get lean and we want to stay there all the time and we'll do anything to get there because, yes, our physique is our basically business card. And so you do get stuck in that space. And I know I did. And it does work for a good amount of time as well. That's the other problem. You can kind of live in that space. I certainly did almost through my 30s. And then all of a sudden it was like this was not working for me anymore. And it also becomes, you know, it becomes a struggle because it's like all you can do is think about like, oh, I got to eat that and I can't do this and that's going to make me, you know, and it's just an unhealthy space to live and it comes kind of exhausting. And I was like, there has to be a better way to live and be able to have this balance without just being exhausted by trying to perform and be this perfect size all the time. Because that quite honestly just doesn't work. Yeah. And I think the carb conversation definitely comes into this uh, conversation Mm -hmm. because I think that was one of the biggest things that I still hear from people and talking with friends and clients is like, oh, well, to boost my metabolism, like I should just cut out carbs and I should go keto because it does this, this and this for my health when like we both know it does quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. So I would love to just dive in there and kind of dissect like, why do you think, first of all, carbs get a bad rap and why actually they are crucial to help the body and metabolism function optimally? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and a very important one today in the world of everyone wearing a uh, continuous glucose monitor. Um, <clears throat> I think people think that. I think carbs are the enemy is because if they completely remove carbs from their diet, they will lose weight. And it's usually because they go into a calorie deficit. So if you remove a, an entire food group, right, then you are going to most likely eat less. That's most of the reason why people are losing weight. And, and it's just easier, I think, for some people just to say, I won't have any of them than to be able to choose good ones, bad ones, or beneficial ones or, or whatnot. Mm. And so I think they just say, I'll eliminate them all. And I will lose weight. And they do. Exactly what happens to them. Um, Or if they even minimize them, right? They just eat vegetables. Um, But ultimately, yes, you are still eating in a deficit and that will make you lose weight. Just because you're losing body fat doesn't mean your metabolism has increased. It just means that you have now shifted into lipolysis where your body is now using different uh, energy to kind of run itself. But it's coming because you're ingesting less food in general, right? That there's no magic here. You are in a deficit. So you can't eat copious amounts of fat and protein and think if you're not in a deficit, you're going to lose weight. You won't. And so you, you're going to gain weight. It's just easier, right? It's hard. It's usually much harder to overeat chicken all day long. Um, yeah. So I think that's the main reason. And usually when people say they give up carbs, they're giving up things like cookies or they say I'm giving up all sugar. But yeah, they're giving up cookies and cakes and all of these things actually also have fat in it too. So they're actually giving up very highly caloric foods. And that usually results in, again, weight loss, right? And so that is a strategy that certainly can work. What ends up happening to these individuals is over time, that approach usually isn't sustainable. I mean, it, you know, certainly there are people that can go on a keto diet or even these carnivore diets and be successful for long periods of time. And I, I think that takes mm-hmm. an immense amount of willpower and maybe they've, you know, had this significant results and so forth and more power to them. Um, I think you should do whatever works for you. Um, for me, I think it's a hard diet to live in, in today's world. So it would be nice, I think, to have some carbohydrates here and there. Plus the fact that Look, your body does prefer to use carbohydrates as fuel. It's usually the first fuel it will use. It's your quick energy source. Um, It's what helps essentially your metabolism run more optimally. Like your metabolism runs best on utilizing glucose as energy. As soon as you start using fat as energy again, and you can, there is a metabolic shift. You have lower thyroid function. You actually will start having a slower metabolism. There is an adaptation process that goes on there. Of course, your body can start using ketones and so forth and so on, but there will be a, a level of adaptation at some point in time. And so usually you find is those people don't do as well under a stress state. If you are not in a very stressed state or so forth for, for a long period of time, um, you know, you might be totally fine. But what you'll find is people that go on low carb diets, if they experience something, usually something pulls them out of that kind of lifestyle. And it's usually some sort of stress, right? Something stressful happens to them. They want quick energy. Their brain is like, we need carbohydrates, right? We need sugar. We want it now. So that screaming brain will overtake it. And then finally, they'll just go and binge or eat everything in sight, you know, and then try to get back on their diet. And then they just go through these sequences continually. So that's what I see, right? Usually when there's a level of restriction with carbohydrates, you start seeing a binge restrict cycle and it just doesn't work well for the system. And, you know, people always like to talk about this study done on rats that showed that the rats chose sugar over cocaine. And that's why it's so much more addicted than cocaine. And what the study really showed was is if you restrict the sugar, for long periods of time and only let them have it for like two hours a day. Yes, it would create this level of addiction process where they would over consume it. But if they actually got it throughout the day, that never happened, right? They never had these kind of uh, addictive type things where they over consumed it. And it happens the same in the human. If you give a human adequate good carbohydrates, and again, we have to state what those are, right? These are like nutrient-based fruits and roots and milk and honey, right? Like carbs that have nutrition and aren't filled with a bunch of other garbage. We're not talking about processed carbohydrates here. But if you give that to someone throughout the day, all of a sudden that binge-like quality or the addiction feeling that they think they're having goes away. 
All right. So we cannot correlate them with a drug. If you did cocaine, that wouldn't happen. If you're doing cocaine all day, yeah, you probably want more cocaine and it would lead to other things. So it isn't anything like that. And at the same time, you know, yes, does coke, the sugar light up your dopamine or your areas in your brain like like cocaine does? Yes, it does. So does joy and happiness and puppies and yeah puppies. right anything that makes you happy will light up that area in your brain so there's all these correlations that go on with no context around them that people take this little blip it and go here you go this is what it means i'm like it doesn't mean that you need to give the entire story and then we can make more sense of it yeah kind of on this theme of misconceptions um because your book touched on it you mentioned it right now fruit because that's a whole other thing right now I'm seeing blasted across social media is fruit is the devil, you know, like sugar is poison. So I like to kind of dive in there and just unpack that. Uh, gosh, I mean, there's so much to say about fruit. And I don't know if that's coming because people are using like continuous glucose monitors, and they're eating a piece of fruit and they're going, I have a blood glucose spike, I shouldn't eat this ever. Um, and, and for yeah, and for your listeners that don't know, I mean, continuous glucose monitors are these these mechanisms you stick on your arm and then you can basically get your blood glucose every five minutes if you want it. And it will tell you how your life is being responding, your blood sugar is responding to your life or how you respond to any sort of carbohydrates. So mm -hmm. I think from that, one thing I've learned is that a lot of, first off, let's go, anytime you go on a low carbohydrate <clears throat> diet and you reintroduce carbohydrates into your diet, you're going to have glucose spikes. Right. Going on a low carbohydrate diet itself is going to create some level of insulin resistance. So you actually will respond to carbohydrates much slower. So I've seen this on social media all over the time, all these low carb people, and then they start eating some level of sugar and then they report their, their blood sugar levels and they go, look, this is totally spiking me in unhealthy levels. And I'm like, well, the truth is, if you are actually healthy, it wouldn't have that response. That's actually, yes, an abnormal response, right. but it's probably because you don't consume carbohydrates ever. And now you're adding it back in. It's a, you're getting a very slow response. So you're going to see a, a higher and longer blood glucose, blood glucose marker. Mm -hmm. um, fruit in itself, sure. It's carbohydrates are going to make your blood sugar elevate. They're supposed to do that. <laughs> that is a normal response, right? You should have that happen. You should have insulin rise and it basically shuttles it into your cell. That's, that's not an abnormal response. Fruit in itself, right, is a mixture of glucose and fructose. So to be quite honest, it's going to have a lower response than something like bread that's 100% glucose. So mm -hmm. anything with fructose in it is going to have a less uh, responsive marker on your blood sugar because fructose doesn't really make your blood sugar go up very high. So there's nowhere in nature that we're actually eating anything that's 100% fructose. So it's always going to come with some glucose and that's normally where you're getting the response. Um, I, I kind of find that it's more the juice for a lot of people that people freak out about because yes, if you consume a lot of liquid sugars or liquid juice and you're not used to them, yep, you're going to get a blood glucose spike. That's going to happen. So you have to have some level of context, right? Healthy individuals should not have these massively elevated blood glucose markers when you're having these form of carbohydrates. And if you are, then we have to like take a step back and figure out why you're having a response like that. And there's a lot of different mechanisms, right? Your body could be just overly stressed. You'd be, be coming from an unhealthy low carb diet or not even unhealthy, but you are coming from a low carb diet and, and, or you are a restrictive diet or, um, a lot of times it's people's GI system. If you have some level of endotoxin in your GI, um, that can certainly make you respond poorly to uh, glucose. You could have uh, none of B vitamins or other nutrients in your diet, which is also going to have you not respond well to glucose. So there's a lot of different mechanisms and just avoiding them in general, in my opinion, is not the answer. The answer shouldn't be just to flatten your glucose all the time. I think right. that long-term is going to lead into some A, unhealthy habits, and B, people feeling not as well because they're restricting this entire food group that is your body's preferred source of energy. But like I said, fruit in general is a, a nutrient-rich. It has tons of minerals. Um, you get some level of good fibers in there, depending on your, your body and, and what it needs. Um, and there's a variety. You just have to find out kind of how your body responds. And for most people, you know, eating some level of protein and fat with that fruit will have, will, they'll get a better blood glucose response, right? For some people, it may be having a piece of fruit by itself isn't ideal. Maybe you need to have it with something that's going to slow down how fast your body absorbs that glucose. 
So having it with fat or protein um, or both will help that response. So you, you kind of just kind of figure out what your body needs. But again, we have to realize if you have been restricting these foods for long periods of time, you have to reintroduce them slowly and and consistently so that your body can kind of relearn how to utilize these foods as fuel. Yes. So where does the like adrenal cocktail kind of play into like the fruit juice or fruit juice conversation? So the adrenal cocktail, I think it's kind of transition. Um, being someone that I always used, you know, I, I always liked uh, Dr. Pete's information. I think the adrenal cocktail came from like Morley Robbins. And it, it's essentially mm-hmm. your, your adrenals require minerals, right? And your system and your nervous system re- requires minerals. And having something like an adrenal cocktail, which is high, high in potassium, high in sodium, um, it can actually support that system, right? So, uh, potassium in itself can actually help shuttle sugar getting into the cell without the use of insulin. So that is the thought process behind it. The problem for a lot of people is if they're doing copious amounts of those, you know, orange juice certainly still has sugar in it. It can be too much for them and it can throw them completely out of balance, right? They're being told, well, you're stressed and you need these adrenal cocktails, do two or three a day and their body does not respond well to that. So I've always like, I I had like Kate's miracle drink is what I called it. And it was a combination of orange juice, coconut water, a little salt, collagen, and then water. And so with people, what I usually do is I go, look, if they haven't had carbs, I'll be like, okay, you're just going to have an ounce of juice and 11 ounces of water. And we're just going to dilute it a little bit. So your body gets used to it. And then you're going to just sip on it. You're not going to guzzle it down, right? We're going to give you a slow release. And then I will change it on them as they kind of progress. Then I might pull it up to two ounces or three ounces as they could. But I usually wouldn't just give them tons of adrenal cocktails right off the bat and go, you know, hope your body does well with it. Cause a lot of times they don't. And again, it kind of depends on where the person's coming from. Yeah. And I think that's a common theme in the like pro metabolic conversation and sphere as more people are like starting to dive in and learn more about this is, you know, kind of diving in head first to, Oh, well now I can drink orange, like six cups of orange juice a day. Yeah. Let me add in ice cream and bread and exactly <laughs> all the dairies. Yeah. And, and that is the difference because these foods are, there's the, the suggestion is yes, they're okay that you have, there's, there's good things from these and here they are supported. Right. And, but I think, yes, you're right. People come in and they read them like, Oh, I'll eat these foods. My metabolism will increase. And then all will be right in the world. And that's not what happens. Right. It, it's like, look, you have to figure out where your starting point is and what you your previous diet history is and what you, how responsive are, and what your stress is going on right now. And we have to go maybe very slow, or maybe it's like, look, if, if, for me, usually if someone comes in and they have a lot of GI distress, it's like the first thing I want to get after. Cause yeah. <clears throat> I know if things are not functioning, it can affect, if the GI is not functioning well, it can affect literally everything else in their system. So it's, let's try to shift that first, get that under control and then try to adjust some of these other things. And so it, maybe it's not, maybe they don't have any juice right now. Maybe they don't have any milk right now. Maybe we just have some whole foods and maybe we, you know, put enough protein in there so that the blood sugar has a constant flow. Um, but yeah, I mean, other diets, I think you read, and you're like, I can have all these things. People have all those things and then they can get a result in this one. Here's the list. And if you start doing that too fast, you just get fat. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are upset because they're like, I gained all this weight. But on the other half of that, it's like, well, you added butter to everything. You were pounding the milk and just drinking orange juice and coconut water all day. Like (laughs) it wasn't this slow progression, like you said, because it may be for you starting out with a dilution of these whole food groups, especially coming from a deficit space. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you have to take your current situation into consideration and it's like, you might need, right? So you might realize, you know, you are a 40-year-old woman who weighs 150 pounds and really for your body to function optimally, you might need 2,200 calories. But if you're eating 12 right now and it's just protein and fat and barely any carbs and you just go ahead and shift to 2,200 calories and having all these carbohydrates in there, your body is not going to like that. And be quite honestly, when I got into this approach, I did a 180 shift as well. I did gain some weight. I had all these adverse reactions. And so, 
you know, I get that. I get why people do that is kind of our like dive in with two feet yet. And and sometimes it can work and sometimes people can do it and they do gain a little weight, but they feel so much better. They don't really care. And then they can take a little bit of time to get the weight off. But for others, depending on where they are and how well they tolerate glucose, it can really kind of throw them off, make them feel worse. And they also gain weight. So Slow and steady is always going to win the race. And that's why I usually tell people, look, it's it's really helpful to food log. That way you can see what you're doing because most people overestimate or underestimate what they're putting into their bodies. And so, you know, they think they're doing this or they forget this bite of food or they forget that, you know, but ultimately, you know, you if you go from a 1200 calorie diet to 2200, that is a massive calorie increase. You could put up to a couple pounds a week doing that. And if you keep doing it, right? You're just going to keep on gaining weight. And so <clears throat> you, you you need to, to kind of enjoy the process and going slow and steady through it. So it doesn't totally make you feel, you know, not as well. Gross. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good work. So um, if you were to be, rec- again, this is like broad scale. If you could start recommending, you know, we talked about dairy, carbs, fruit, um, just some of these larger food options that I think a lot of people just have demonized, period. Kind of where would where would you recommend that people start? That's a great question. And um, it's kind of I'm actually in the middle of writing a second book right now to try to help answer some of these questions because it has been the common question ever since I wrote the first one. It was like, I don't know where to start. What do I do? I don't so my suggestion usually is uh, to start is like pick one meal and maybe change that. Okay. Right. And usually it's breakfast because usually in the breakfast time you'll burn it off and so forth. So in the next book, you know, I'm going to give like a hundred different recipe options and different breakdowns of meal plans and so forth. So it's like, start with your breakfast, find a breakfast that you like, and then maybe do it continually. So, you know, do two or three of them. And just change that at first and see what it feels like to you. And, you know, and if you're coming from a low carb approach, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you only have 30 grams of protein, I'm sorry, 30 grams of carbs and not 60 grams, kind of balance it. And then do that consistently for a week. Don't change anything else. And so, and then uh, take your temperature and pulse and log and see how your body feels with it. And then try another meal, maybe try adding, then I usually have people go to dinner because sometimes you know, people I find have the hardest time with lunch because they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm at home. And I'm like, well, whatever you make for dinner, just make more and eat it for lunch. <laughs> so that would normally go into my next step is like, now try changing your, your dinner and utilizing some of the meals that are on here. And again, and go at a pace that feels good to you, right? Don't try to change every meal at once. It becomes too overwhelming and your body's like, I don't know what you're doing. This is too much right? So allow it to adjust. For some people, if you haven't had milk in your diet, I would say don't do that first. Try to make some of these other changes. Maybe, you know, add a carrot salad. If you're having a lot of GI distress, it's like, okay, remove some of the starches or remove some of the leafy greens or the nuts or the seeds that might be creating some havoc on your system. That can kind of come as you start to transition through it. But I think for most people, they need something a little bit easier to adjust because there's so much information. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, here's some meal options for breakfast. Try one of these and do it for seven days. Right. Take your temperature and pulse and assess how you feel. Does that work for you? Did you have any GI distress? Right. Kind of these are the questions. Did you did you feel like you got a little warmer? What exactly happened? And then you kind of, you know, continually to adjust because I feel like a lot of people need to really have a little bit more handholding through the process because I get it. You want to feel better. You want it to work immediately. That's what we've been taught. So we jump in with two feet and then everything blows up. Yeah. And it all falls apart. <laughs> it all falls apart. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I, in the book, I will give like people like the kind of a grocery list and here are some foods, but ultimately look, just change one meal, do whatever you're doing that you keep that the same and then yeah. try another meal, right. And kind of see how it feels. And, but at the same time, you know, you also want to figure out how many, how much you eating right now? Like that's important, right? We need to know if you're eating 1400 calories, well, then we probably need to stay on that same page and we need to create a diet plan. That's 1400 calories for you, whatever that looks like, and then maybe slowly change it. But even though, again, you might need, like somebody told you, because of your weight and your age and everything, you need this amount. Yeah. Well, just because you might need that you and you're, and you're consuming much less, you don't need it immediately. We need to work up to that. 
And then you need to kind of like, again, and, and it's very much of a test and measure kind of a thing, right? It, that's the process. And I think that's why coaching does help a lot of people because it keeps them at a, at a pace where it's not overwhelming and it keeps you at a pace like, yep, this is the pace we should go at. We need to figure out what this next step is. Your body's going to tell us if it likes it or doesn't like it. Sometimes we have to take a step back because we took a step and your body wasn't responsive to that. So we kind of go, okay, let's go a different direction and see how this feels to you. So, but within this book, it, it will help kind of get through some of those questions. You know, I'm going to have an entire chapter part on just, you know, going through, if something goes wrong, this is what you should try and so forth. Awesome. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, it is a process though. I tell you that. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. And I even had the conversation with friends, like even if a meal is too daunting, like switch a snack, like instead of your like mid morning breakfast muffin or scone or whatever. Okay. So like, what about some beef jerky and raw cheese or, you know, like, if you can't even start with a meal, like let's address your snacks. And even one of the first things that I added personally was a raw carrot salad. Yep. Yeah. And that was, that was where I needed to start just for my own mental, emotional and physical health. Yep. And, and I get, I think that's a great way to come in. And even, you know, I've worked with people and not even changed their diets. And then, and I added my Kate's miracle drink and I'm like, look, instead of you drinking your four liters of water through the day, we're going to cut that water. We're going to have a little bit of juice. Yep. And what ends up happening is we get them down to like a liter of water. And then, you know, with some juice and they a, feel better. They're more, you know, they don't pee 50 times a day. Their energy's better. Right. They feel more stable and they just change that one thing over time. And so you don't have to do everything to get results that you want, right? It, it, it There is a level for people. You don't have to give up everything. And I definitely have a, a, a thought that I always want to do the least amount to get the best results, right? And so if we can change things flow and steady and, and you've changed a few things, you're like, you know what? I feel pretty good. I, I still want to eat my salad and my nuts or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm not here to tell you that you can't do that. Do that. See how that feels. If you have another shift, then we can make some other adjustments because your body will change as you get older and more stress and things come into your life. But the important thing is that, you know, you're getting the result you're looking for and doing it on your own path. And you don't have to give up, you know, if you're nuts, if you love them, then go for that. But, you know, if you're having a lot of GI distress and every time you eat nuts, you have, you know, more GI distress when, yeah, then maybe we take those out for right now. Might be a factor. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like people don't understand like some of the misconceptions because they want to go into nutrition with a black and white mindset of, first of all, like you probably shouldn't be, you know, waterlogging yourself. Like that's, yes, hydrate, but not to the extent that you're flushing out all of your electrolytes and minerals. And the same thing that I thought was super interesting in your book was um, like the big salads, you know, like that's a whole rave right now is big leafy greens. So I would love to hear just about like your stance on <laughs> overpounding the vegetables. It, I know that one is that, because I lived on big salads, two big salads a day. And, and I don't want to say that big salads are a bad thing, but in the context of trying to sometimes not for most people, if they have a lot of GI distress, eating a lot of raw leafy green salads doesn't seem to help them. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, for people are like, yeah, but it's a nutrient dense. And, and I think this is why people like salads and leaves nutrient dense with low calories, basically what they are, lots of fiber. And so, well, who shouldn't think that's like the best food on the planet? Well, anyone that has a lot of GI distress isn't. And if you are in a really stressed state and your GI is compromised because it's underfueled and energized, right? What we need to understand that anytime you're stressed out or in a stress state or your body's not getting enough energy to meet its demands, your GI system just goes into the, the, the gutter. It does not work well in the sympathetic state. It doesn't. It works in a parasympathetic state. And if you can't get into that state because you're just stressed out all the time, you're going to have GI distress. You're going to yeah. have bloating and undigested food. And, you know, maybe you're not breaking it down. So that means you're not absorbing the energy. It's just going to keep perpetuate you in that stress state. And then you're going to pile on a bunch of leafy salads that have no energy, right? Your body needs energy, no energy. And then they take an enormous amount of energy to break down and extract the nutrients, Process. right? So we're basically trying to get all this nutrition out of a food that we can't even break down at this point. So it would not be an ideal 
food for somebody in that space. And do you need green salads to be healthy? No, you can totally have a nutritional based diet without them. If you like them and you like to have them in your, your weekly, you know, food and, and so forth, go for it. I definitely eat a salad here and there. Sometimes I just want one. I will have them as a side salad. Um, I have no problem with them. It's just, if you are having a lot of distress, it's not going to be an optimal food for you in that space. And I find that a lot of women, mm-hmm more than anything, yeah, they get into that and the, and their body is so under-energized, but, you know, they're still thin, they're still lean, you know, but they have what I refer to as kind of the the salad breakdown belly, meaning they just feel super bloated all the time. They kind of have this pudgy belly because of their body just cannot break all this stuff down. So as soon as we kind of start removing these things or limiting them, or even if we just cooked all those green vegetables so that they are at least somewhat broken down before you start eating them, we seem to get a better response. Yeah. And at that point, it's kind of a wash to begin with, because like you said, you're not absorbing the nutrients that you're trying to eat because you don't have energy to process them to begin with. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and that is the thought. Like, look, food is, is only good, is, is only as good as, as you can break it down and absorb it. Mm-hmm. Right. You can eat the best food on the planet, but if you are not breaking it down and absorbing it, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Right. So, um, you know, so we have to think of it more than just look at that food is so nutritious because, but it's so much fiber in there. Your body just can't extract anything from it. Right. It's going to take so much work. So, you know, and, and it, like I can still use salads though. I mean, for someone that's really healthy and they've worked on increasing and, and supporting metabolic rate, and now maybe they want to go into a slight deficit to try and lose a little body fat. Certainly we can use things like a salad and other foods that maybe aren't recommended in the beginning to help facilitate that process. But at that point in time, I already know that they can break some of this stuff down. Their body can utilize it optimally and and it can work for them in the context of what we're trying to do. Um, I still wouldn't recommend it every single day, twice a day, like I used to eat, but you can still add it in and use it for, you know, whether it's just going to make them feel more full while we go into the slight deficit because when somebody gets to that process, the goal is always, look, we want to lose body fat, but I don't want you to feel like you want to murder everybody. You know, yeah. We want to do it in a happy place. We want to feel sustained. We still want to be able to sleep well. I still want your energy to be well. And so if we can get to them and have them have that experience, then yeah, it's a much more enjoyable process and they don't want to feel like they're going to go and binge on something and ruin you know their entire week's worth of restriction. Definitely. And I think this makes a perfect transition because one of our listener questions was on this topic of fat loss. And so she had said she had her thyroid removed, but her endocrinologist said that her metabolism may still be too slow for fat loss. So what is maybe what are you thinking your thoughts around metabolism in this fat loss conversation for her? Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that they put her on thyroid medication. They had her, she had a thyroid removed. Yeah. Okay. Right. So she's on thyroid medication and her endocrinologist said what she, that she can't lose fat now because her, th- her metabolism. I guess so. Okay. Um, interesting. So fat loss is essentially right. You do need thyroid to run your metabolism and thyroid is basically that hormone that's going to speed your body's ability to utilize fuel up, right? If you have good thyroid function, it's you're using energy at a high rate. So you're using it and burning it and creating heat. And when you have low metabolism, it starts using energy much slower. So you're, you're essentially not taking the fuel through the process as quickly. And if you're on thyroid hormone and, and if you're converting it, and I don't know what thyroid hormone you're on, some people, they just put you on something like Synthroid, Synthroid which is T4. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are put on a combination. Some people are put on some desiccated. I think the common medication for uh, thyroidectomy is just put them on T4. So there's could be a problem because if your body isn't converting it into the active thyroid, then that could be an issue. So that would mean like we need to make sure you have good liver function. But look, if you're still eating properly and you're still getting enough fuel in and you're still maintaining good blood sugar and not putting yourself in a stressed position, you absolutely can still lose body fat if you are in a healthy place, but you still have to make sure you're in a healthy place first, right? If you try to lose body fat and you're having all of these symptoms and you're not utilizing energy well, trying to do that is going to be a massive struggle and you're going to feel like garbage for the most part. So, First, you need to assess, am I healthy enough to lose weight? 
And that means, am I sleeping, right? Do I, is my energy stable? Do I feel like I'm in a good mood? Is my GI system working okay? Is my cycle, right? Like those are good subjective markers you can take into, you know, in consideration and then assess if those things are functioning optimally. If they're not, then you need to try and work on those things too. And people are like, well, how do I do all that? I'm like, well, everything we've been talking about, like, you know, and that's why the one thing I like this approach is, is it isn't have to be specific to your symptoms. It's just like, look, we're just going to try to improve your heat production. And this is how you're going to do it. You're going to eat these foods regularly through the day where it's comfortable for you. And then you're going to reassess. It is not an immediate process. And that's why, like I said, food logging and also taking temperature and pulse are good markers to see if you're moving in the right direction. But I don't think anybody, right? Metabolism is more than just thyroid hormone. It, that is the, the mechanism that lowers and ups it. But there's so much more to that process than just your thyroid hormone. Yeah, perfectly said. The second one we have is, and I'm curious because I've heard this a lot of, she was asking about your favorite breakfast smoothie recipes, but I know you have one list in your book as well. But specifically, I would say the second question to this would be, well, what if I'm not waking up hungry? What does that say about my metabolism? Yeah, that's a good question. So I have a lot of favorite smoothie recipes. I have like 20 of them in my new book. Um, the one I am using right now is a quickie. I mean, it's like a cup and a half of milk, um, frozen fruit. I always use frozen fruit, ton of like a cup of frozen fruit. Um, I'll put a tablespoon of gelatin in there, a little bit of orange juice, um, two or three tablespoons of Greek yogurt, and sometimes I'll throw a raw, a raw egg in there. Um, depending if I want it more sweet, I could put some more honey or something in there as well. Um, but I have like different ones and I have like non-dairy options as well. But I, I like smoothies. Um, they don't work for everybody. And they can work for people, though, that have no appetite in the morning because they just they take a, a less energy to break down, obviously, because they are a smoothie. They're liquid. And so for some people, a smoothie, if you don't have an appetite, can be good for you in the morning because, you know, if you are waking up in a slightly stressed state, you might not have an appetite in the morning. And right. So for a lot of people, they're like, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry till noon. Like, well, that might not necessarily be a good thing. Maybe the goal should be to try and figure out how to get you hungry in the morning. And as people, mm -hmm. right, and usually says your, your body's waking up trying to conserve energy, right? It could be that you're already having stress hormones elevate, which they do in the morning, but maybe they've been kind of running the show. Maybe you didn't sleep well. And so you just don't have a, an appetite. Look, stress hormones will kill your appetite. And so... In a, in a little bit of time, it might show up, but we want it to show up in the morning. So initially you might have to try to just force the food a little bit in the morning. And it doesn't mean to guzzle down a smoothie in the first five minutes. If you aren't used to eating, it probably like maybe get two or 300 calories in a smoothie and just start sipping on it and take 30 minutes to consume it in the morning. Right. And then still work on improving, you know, getting a decent lunch in, getting a decent dinner in. Right. A lot of times what I find is the people that aren't hungry in the morning are the ones that kind of forget to eat all day and then over consume all their calories in the evening time. And then they, they get into this cycle. Right. But like, oh, look, you want to eat while you're doing stuff. You want to be able to support what you're doing through the day. You don't want your body like breaking down tissue all day long to support what you're doing and then just try to eat everything at night because it's been so stressed out all day. Now your appetite's showing yeah. up, right? We want to like reverse. We want to say, look, I want to fuel everything while I'm going on and, and try to Keep, you know, supply my body with all the energy that it needs so that when I'm sleeping, it'll actually transition and use fat as fuel. Your, your body prefers to use fat in the rested state. You know, it, it always is using all of your macros, you know, at, some, at any good time, right? You got 37 trillion cells. They're not always using glucose. They're not always using fat. They're using a combination of all of those. Different ones are using different nutrients, right? And as you rest, a higher percentage will start using fat. And as you're in activity, a higher percentage will actually start using glucose. And so you want to make sure you're getting enough carbohydrates through the day to provide yourself with that. But for, like I said, for someone like that, I usually would just give them a very small meal in the morning with the intent on trying to slowly increase it. As they're, you know, when they start waking up, I'm like, oh, okay, good. Now we can do 300 calories or 400 calories, right? Um, you do have to be careful with people that might have severe blood sugar issues if you're doing smoothies with them, because it certainly can get in a lot quicker. 
So usually I suggest to them like, look, eat this like you're eating a meal. Like don't Mm. chug it in five minutes, right? right? Eat it like in 30 minutes, like give your body time. You're not getting this massive influx of calories and carbohydrates at one time, right? Like, you know, especially because I have some smoothies like four or 500 calories and I've met people. They're like, oh, I just chug it and go on my way. And I'm like, yeah, don't do that. Uh, your body doesn't like 500 calories all at once. You know, it, it, mm. it, it wants to have time. So, you know, if you opt to do smoothies, don't consume them so quickly, right? Like take your time in consuming them slow and steady. And, you know, you'll probably get a better, you will get a better response. Oh yeah. I love that. Definitely is going to help you feel less like, like a whale, you know? Yeah. You won't get that massive blood sugar spike. Yeah. If you want to go, if you put your CGM on, the one way to get a great blood sugar spice is that make a high carbohydrate smoothie and chug it in five minutes. There we go. Well, now we know what not to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Kate, this has been such an awesome conversation. I would love to just share where community can connect with you. Um, your book. I've loved it. And I'm super excited for your next one as well. Uh, well, they can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Kate Deering Fitness. Um, they can go to my website at katedeering.com. And it has like a series of articles and tons of other podcasts on there and information. Um, and of course, uh, you can get my book on a lot of different avenues, primarily like Amazon is how to heal your metabolism. And hopefully the new book will be complete by the end of the year and then out sometimes next year. Yeah, we can't wait. I have one more closing question for you that we close with all of our guests, just because this is a place where we hope to share wisdom. And I've learned so many things just reading your book and through this conversation. So if you could provide any wisdom to your younger self or for a community that is listening, what would you share? Whoa, <laughs> uh, for my younger self. Wow. I guess the biggest thing is to not be so hard on myself. And I think we are, and especially in today's world, especially with all the social media, I'm like, look, you know, live your life. You're going to make mistakes, learn from them, adapt and shift, and just kind of like enjoy it along the way. Um, nobody here is perfect. You don't want to be perfect. It's all about imperfection and finding the beauty in that. And so if you can kind of live your life that way, it's certainly going to be a lot easier and a lot more fun. Oh, definitely. Kate, this has been such an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom with us. My pleasure. It was fun to be on here. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been an awesome conversation. I'll link all of Kate's amazing resources for you, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening, friend. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you don't want to miss any wisdom or encouragement, be sure to subscribe to the show. And don't forget to rate and review. Your feedback means so much and helps our community grow. If you're looking for more wellness wisdom and free resources, head over to livingwiselywell.com or get connected with me on Instagram at wiselywell. And if you're looking for a break from the hurried health lifestyle, check out my return to rest resource for tangible ways to slow down and finally find rest.